When someone is injured, it puts that person at significant risk for disability or even death. In fact, each year, injury is among the leading causes of death in the United States. So what can be done to try to reduce injuries and their potentially devastating results? We need to address this as a complex biopsychosocial disease problem. Pulling in science, pulling in healthcare, pulling in public health, pulling in all sectors of civil society, and thoughtfully advancing injury prevention and control strategies. On today's show, we'll learn about the importance of treating injury as disease. We'll introduce a new segment focusing our CTSI on clinical trials. Medicine doesn't advance by anecdotes and water cooler talk. It's really about proving that something works or something doesn't work. And the way we do that is through a clinical trial. And later, we'll get an update on the All of Us Wisconsin Research Program. Wisconsinites have the opportunity to be part of one of the largest, most ambitious data-gathering efforts and to not only be a part of medical history, but a part of the future of shaping healthcare. That's all coming up inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions in advancing biomedical research and finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more economical than ever. Because our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Sustaining an injury seems to be an inevitability in life. At some point, we're all likely to become injured somehow doing something. But while some injuries are minor, maybe not even requiring medical attention, others have far more serious consequences, ranging from temporary impairment to permanent disability, and in severe cases, resulting in death. In Wisconsin and across the U.S., injury is the leading cause of premature death among all individuals, surpassing heart disease and even cancer. But many injuries can be prevented, and their impact on our community can be controlled when injuries are viewed and treated like other diseases rather than simply as accidents. Dr. Stephen Hargarten is Chair and Professor of Emergency Medicine and Director of the Comprehensive Injury Center at the Medical College of Wisconsin. We recently spoke with Dr. Hargarten to learn what the CIC is doing to facilitate the advancement of injury control and prevention science. Dr. Hargarten says that injury is the neglected disease of modern society. He gives us some background to explain what he means by this. There was a report from the National Research Council of the National Academies of Science in 1966 that highlighted this major burden of acute injury 
in our communities and the at-risk populations. Up until that point, the attention to trying to reduce that burden had not effectively advanced. And so that was a significant report that advanced our understanding and a federal role in motor vehicle crashes. So in 1968, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration was established. As America went through the 60s and 70s, a lot of progress was made. So we had a lot of progress and built on that progress through the 80s. We had then CDC funding for addressing this as a major public health problem. And we have seen the benefits of that, particularly with injuries from cars colliding, reducing this in a significant way. But while progress was being made in auto-related injuries, focus and funding for treating injury as more than just a public health issue was lost. What I refer to now is that we've lost some of that engagement, we've lost some of that initiative and funding where NHTSA is not adequately funded, the CDC's Injury Center is not being adequately resourced to address other major major injury problems. And so when I refer to that modern disease of the 21st century, that's what I was referring to. Now it's opioids, it's gun violence and suicide. We need to step up. We need to treat it as a complex disease and build on what we started to do in the 60s. Dr. Hargarten says this is now coming back into increasing focus thanks to the emergence of a modern area of science known as injury prevention and control science. So what exactly is this science? It's a great question because it's relatively new science relative to other biomedical sciences. And so the science began to be applied in the 1940s with a guy named Hugh DeHaven who looked at falls from major heights and why did some survive and others didn't. And it's the management of the kinetic energy. So when they impact a surface, that's also going to determine their survival. The 60s brought in Bill Haddon, who devised a matrix to sort this out because the energy release happens in a blink of an eye, literally, whether it be a car crash or the impact when you fall or the bullet entering the victim. And so that scientific inquiry began in earnest in the 60s as it was framed as a largely public health issue. Which brings us to today. When Dr. Hargarten and his team are working to reframe injury through injury prevention and control science. I want to reframe it to, it's a disease. It has elements of disease that we know. Diseases have been defined back in the 1800s, largely helping us with our understanding of biological agents. In this case, this is physical agents, kinetic energy, chemical energy, and that causes harm and death. And framing it as a disease pulls in campuses like the Medical College of Wisconsin and two level one trauma centers, and that's the way we're framing it for our comprehensive injury center, which we feel is a step in the right direction to reinvigorate the science of injury prevention and control. Why is the concept of recognizing and treating injury as disease so essential in medical practice? Think about what doctors do. We treat diseases. So if it's not considered a disease or it's dismissed as a public health issue, then it's somebody else's problem. And the healthcare systems that take care of injured patients can be reinvigorated to improve the care of the injured patient because it is a disease that requires careful investigation, careful therapies that help those patients recover from that acute energy release. But that's not to say its essentiality is easy for everyone to understand. Part of the reason that it's difficult for people to understand it is because the energy release is out there somewhere. 
It's not happening in front of the healthcare workers who treat these patients. They're brought to us bleeding, unconscious, and we take care of them very well physically, and we need to do better behaviorally and socially. And that's why we're framing injury as a biopsychosocial disease. A biopsychosocial disease. Dr. Hargarten breaks that down for us. We expand the definition of a disease to pull in psychosocial elements that medicine traditionally hasn't done. Medicine has been very, very good on biomedical investigations. I think we have a real strong opportunity to reframe this particular disease burden in a way that pulls in others that are part of the team to treat these patients who have been biologically taken care of, but their psychosocial issues are still in the forefront in need recognition and intervention. Enter the Comprehensive Injury Center, or CIC, with a very clear mission. We want to advance the sciences to improve patient care, strengthen education of students, residents, and doctors about this complex biopsychosocial disease, conduct research that leads to evidence-based policies and programs or interventions, and we want to engage the community, consistent with the four missions of the Medical College of Wisconsin. We're advancing our science to address this disease burden, just like we've been doing for cancer, cardiovascular disorders, and so forth. In order to understand where the Comprehensive Injury Center is today, we asked Dr. Hargarten to reflect back on its beginning as the Wisconsin Injury Research Center. It was a combination of leaders talking about we need to organize our campus, much like we organize our campus around cancer investigations. We didn't have anything. And so we created this Wisconsin Injury Research Center and then applied to the CDC for an injury center funded through that mechanism, and we succeeded and had funded for 11 years. And in those initial years, the then Injury Research Center made some significant contributions to injury prevention and control science. He shares one notable example with us. We're experts at data linkages. So we were the first state to pilot and connect medical examiner, police, and crime lab information on all violent deaths in Wisconsin. It served as a model for other states to adopt, and it's now funded by the CDC in over 40 states, soon to be 50. So that was one of our contributions. Just this year, the center was renamed the Comprehensive Injury Center. What's reflected with this name change? Comprehensive, because we want to improve the care of patients. So on the patient care core committee is Dave Milia, the medical director of the Level 1 Trauma Center Trader, and Amy Drendel, who's the medical director of the ED at Children's. That's distinctive among injury centers across the United States. The comprehensive component is it's got all phases of the medical college's mission. Injury centers across the United States don't have that, at least from my understanding. As mentioned, the CIC partners with two Level 1 trauma centers, Freighter's Hospital and Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Dr. Hargarten tells us why this unique partnership benefits the CIC and other trauma centers. Level 1 trauma centers, by their definition and verification process, are actively engaged in injury research and injury prevention. All trauma centers, level one, two, and three, are also obligated to engage in injury prevention. Pulling in a comprehensive way, we can inform those other hospitals about injury science and help them strengthen their injury prevention. The traditional injury research center funded by the CDC did not have that explicit, comprehensive nature. Next, Dr. Hargarten gives us his insight into the CIC's main goals advancing injury prevention and control science. This is about understanding what happens when the energy exchange occurs and what one can do about it. 
understanding that energy exchange lends itself to evidence-based prevention strategies and control strategies. And so it's no different than what we do for cancer. We want to understand how do we prevent cancer and understand how we can control cancer. Translating research into clinical practice. I think that's an imperative, particularly in level one trauma centers. We want to improve the care of patients. And so now the injured patient comes back a month later and they're suffering from depression, post-traumatic stress, and yet their physical injury is improving. We need to do a better job of addressing those elements of this complex disease. Another goal is leveraging MCW and its partner resources to train the next generation of injury researchers, practitioners, and educators. Well, injury is addressed in a very fragmented way in medical schools. Think about how medical schools examine the pathophysiology of a disease, stroke, heart attack, cancer. It's not the case with injury. And so it doesn't get a comprehensive attention in medical schools. We want to change that. So it's broadening the definition of injury, and we need to get that into medical schools because it's not there. Not yet. The CIC also hopes to strengthen injury prevention and control practice by engaging the community. The community tends to be polarized about injury and they tend to fall back on be careful. And we want to strengthen the community's understanding. There's other things that one can do and need to do. And it's tough discussion, much like there was tough discussions about HIV back in the 80s. I think we can help strengthen the community's understanding in a way that places it squarely on a scientific platform. The Comprehensive Injury Center also has primary areas of focus, including acute care and rehabilitation, opioid-related injury acute care and prevention, violence, homicide, and suicide prevention. We have a mixture of scientists focused on preventing opioid overdoses and deaths. I'm involved or actively interested in preventing and reducing gun violence. So these are areas that we have faculty advancing their interest. Another area of focus for the CIC is translating military medicine innovations into civilian populations. We've learned a lot from military engagements, and this initiative is to get this collaboration more explicit on our campus. So we benefit from learning new approaches to the care of the injured patient. And so that's a really exciting opportunity for us. Again, Dr. Hargarten says it's critical that all sectors of society begin viewing and treating injury as a disease and not just as an accident. We need to address this as a complex biopsychosocial disease burden, pulling in science, pulling in healthcare, pulling in public health, pulling in all sectors of civil society and thoughtfully advancing injury prevention and control strategies. And he's confident that the CIC at the Medical College of Wisconsin is affecting positive change toward advancing injury prevention and control science. We have a broad view that pulls in sectors and distills the complexity and political rhetoric that accompanies a lot of injury problems. It's really an important advancement that is distinctive. There's no other center like this in the Midwest that we're aware of. That's exciting because for the 21st century, we got a problem. We got to get this right because our cities suffer, our rural communities suffer, and injury has not typically been that way there. Finally, if you want to learn more about the Comprehensive Injury Center, we have a website, it's all there. We'll be sure to post a link on our CTSI website along with the podcast of this show. Beginning with this show, we'll be focusing our CTSI on clinical trials, providing insight, updates, and information each month on clinical trials in all different areas of medical research, including cancer, cardiovascular, neurology, stroke, transplant, and many more.
We believe that clinical trials are crucial toward the advancement of medicine and treatment in our community, across the country, and around the world. And it's our hope that by bringing you updates on clinical trials, you'll be encouraged to investigate and possibly participate in one. But before we begin looking at individual trials, let's first answer some common questions about clinical trials. For this, we've enlisted the help of Dr. James Thomas, Professor of Medicine, Division of Hematology, Oncology, and Medical Director at the MCW Cancer Clinical Trials Office and Translational Research Unit, and Dr. Amit Godet, Administrative Director of the CTSI's Clinical Trials Office. We begin by having both doctors tell us, in its simplest form, what exactly is a clinical trial. Dr. Amit Godet. Clinical trial is any research study that explores whether a medical strategy, a treatment, or a medical device is safe and effective for humans. So these studies may also show which medical approaches work best for certain illnesses or certain groups of people. That, I think, is the simplest way to put it. Dr. James Thomas. Clinical trial is really a pretty simple concept. It's basically a research study that involves people. So instead of petri dishes or mice and rats, it's a research study that involves human beings. And what are the most common reasons for conducting a clinical trial? Medicine is a an evolving field. It's very dynamic. And as we come across newer diseases or we gain new understanding of how disease processes work, we want to test, number one, if our understanding is correct, or number two, if the understanding is correct, then what would work in curing or treating that condition. So when you want to address either of these two questions, the usual go-to place is to do a clinical trial. If you look at all the advances in medicine and medical technology, they all took place through clinical trials. Medicine doesn't advance by anecdotes and water cooler talk. It's really about proving that something works or something doesn't work. So we have a standard way of doing things, and if we're going to move on to a new thing, We have to prove that it works, and it works either more effective or less toxic than the prior alternative. And the way we do that is through a clinical trial. It's a rigorous scientific approach to making advances in medicine. A clinical trial must follow a well-thought-out research plan or protocol. So what's in a protocol? It's a document that really outlines every single aspect of the clinical trial. It gives background information. It gives what the specific aim is. Why are they doing the trial? What kind of data do they expect to get out of the trial? What are the planned measurements? How are they going to determine, after they get those measurements, whether the trial was successful or not? What is the background information, the references? Then also included in the protocol is safety information about the drug or the procedure for the participants or patients that might be involved in the clinical trial. pretty extensive document depending on the complexity of the trial. Clinical trials protocol has several parts to it and that's pretty standard across the board. The first part usually is a little background information on what the disease condition you're exploring and what hypotheses you have. Other parts will include what exactly you are proposing to do. After that, they typically describe the risks associated with participation in this protocol. The goal always is to provide the clearest understanding to the potential participant so that they can make make an educated decision if they want to participate or not. Next, let's find out who conducts a clinical trial. Typically, many people are involved, but it begins with a principal investigator or PI. There's always a principal investigator. 
he or she is the person who actually came up with the idea and who wants to find more about whatever they're proposing. But any clinical trial cannot be carried out by one person. Usually there's a team. There might be co-investigators, research coordinators, data analysts, research assistants, depending on the extent of the trial. Generally, academic medical centers are places that do clinical trials. And those investigators are faculty, MD, MD, PhDs, PhDs, that have a burning question, that want to find the answer to something, that want to find out whether something works better or not. And those are the people that are doing the clinical trials. But really, it takes a broad community to actually make it function well. So we have a saying here in the Cancer Center that we're all cancer researchers. That's to emphasize that it's not just the investigator. It's also the treating physician, the nurses, the technicians. You know, we're all kind of part and parcel of that. Okay, so now we know who conducts clinical trials. So who typically participates in them? Essentially, anyone can participate, but there are certain criteria for each protocol. So if you're looking pertaining only to children, probably have a cutoff of 18 years of age. There are very strict provisions for special populations, and those include children, pregnant women, or incarcerated prisoners. These populations can be easily coerced, and they are potentially high risk. But all of these things are very clearly laid out in the consent forms and in the protocol itself. There are a lot of safeguards already in place to prevent a situation. We'd like to make it a situation where any patient could participate in a clinical trial, that we'd have a clinical trial for everyone. There's what's called eligibility criteria. You have to have a certain disease. Your organs have to function in a certain way. You have to have a certain performance status. And then there's certain exclusion criteria. And really, the purpose of all those criteria is to make sure that we can get to the answer as quickly as possible and not have a bunch of mitigating factors that obscure whether the trial is successful or not. And don't think that clinical trials are only for people with diseases or conditions. One of the large groups of people who do participate are healthy volunteers, people who currently don't have a condition themselves, but they are just in general interested in research. They believe that it's their duty to participate in research so that further down the line, it's for the general benefit of humanity. Let's say you decide to be part of a clinical trial. How long do trials last? Well, that varies. It can range from a few months to many years, depending on the type of trial. When you look at cancer interventional trials, generally those are between six months and three years. But there's longer trials where we're looking at recurrence of cancer or survival from cancer, where they actually study people for the rest of their life. Our thanks to Dr. James Thomas and Dr. Amit Goday. We'll hear more from each of them in part two of our conversation on our next show. Finally today, we focus our community eye once again on the All of Us Wisconsin program, our statewide effort in support of the national program to help the NIH gather health data for more than 1 million people nationwide in accelerating precision medicine. Let's get an update from Sarah Longenecker, Program Manager from the All of Us Wisconsin Research Program at the Medical College of Wisconsin. First, Sarah reminds us what the All of Us Wisconsin Research Program is. All of Us is part of the federal government's Precision Medicine Initiative, which aims to enable a new era of medicine through research, technology, and policies that empower patients, researchers, and providers to work together towards development of individualized care. So what's the specific role of the program? All of Us will serve as a national research resource, covering a wide variety of health conditions. 
participants. With the goal of enrolling one million or more participants from all walks of life, the All of Us Research Program is a way to not only be a part of medical history, but a part of the future of shaping healthcare. Which of course means people in our community can be part of the program. Wisconsinites have the opportunity to be represented in this initiative and make their health data count. This is a simple way to be a part of one of the largest, most ambitious data gathering efforts in medical history. Again, the national goal is to get more than one million people enrolled into the program. So is enrollment underway? Yes, all of us launched nationally on May 6th, and seven cities hosted huge events to honor the national launch. All of Us Wisconsin is hoping to do an event to recognize our involvement sometime later this year. And when that happens, we'll be telling you about it on this show. In the meantime, people are enrolling in All of Us Wisconsin now. So what does that require? Here at the Medical College, we are enrolling people who are 18 years of age or older that live in the U.S. and have a medical record with Freighter Health System. If you've ever seen a freighter provider, that means you have a medical record and that you're able to enroll through Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin. Of course, even if you don't have a medical record with a Freighter Healthcare System provider, you can still participate by signing up through the National All of Us Research Programs website. Anybody who is 18 years of age or older and resides in the U.S. can go to joinallofus.org and register. Again, that website is joinallofus.org. So what does participation involve? And what can you expect if you do decide to become part of All of Us? Participation involves signing up by going to joinallofus.org, creating your account, completing the electronic video consent, and some basic health surveys, as well as completing a short in-person visit to give blood and urine sample, some physical measurements to include blood pressure, heart rate, waist and hip circumference, height and weight. Then, after you register online, one of our friendly All of Us research staff will contact you to see if you'd like to come in to donate some blood, urine, and give some physical measurements. Enrollments are currently being conducted in CTSI's Translational Research Unit in the lower level of the Freighter Pavilion. We've been working hard to create a welcoming space for participants with beverages, snacks, friendly staff, and open computers for participants to utilize. Pretty simple, huh? And providing this basic information and some samples could have an enormous impact both on the future of precision medicine in general and for your personalized health care. All of us is a nationwide research effort to speed up health research and medical breakthroughs. So we are all different, right? And we all need health care that's tailored to us as individuals. Unfortunately, healthcare providers don't always have the information they need to make those tailored recommendations because research hasn't always included diverse groups of people. All of us is a catalyst for positive change in research, and we don't want you to be left out. And Sarah points out that when you join All of Us, you're more than just a participant. Participants are partners in All of Us. They will help shape aspects of the program by sharing ideas and feedback in advisory boards, working groups, committees, and other opportunities. The All of Us program also offers huge opportunities for medical researchers. The opportunity to save time and resources and 
accelerate research breakthroughs by leveraging a rich longitudinal data set that will follow participants as they move, age, develop relationships, get sick, and try treatments. This will provide a huge, diverse cohort of participants, including people both healthy and sick from all walks of life. And they will have robust computing and analytical tools to support complex data analysis in a secure environment. And it offers significant benefits for healthcare providers, including increased scientific evidence to enable precision medicine opportunities for more people and conditions, better understanding of environment and lifestyle factors on health, increased knowledge of innovations that make it easier to share electronic health records with other providers and patients, and new knowledge to help address health disparities, increase patient engagement, and understand the usefulness of consumer health devices and applications. With enrollment now underway, Sarah says initial participants are enthusiastic about the opportunity. Well, our participants have been very excited to be a part of this research program. You can really tell a sense of altruism from those who want to participate and how they feel that they're really helping to change and shape the future of healthcare. Still, she's fully prepared for people who might ask, why should I participate? What's in it for me? I would say that you should join because all of us wants to include people from all communities so that the knowledge we gain benefits everyone. This is a really simple way to be a part of creating a healthier future for generations to come. And you can say you are a part of that. And if you want more information about the program, there's plenty of resources available. To learn more about all of us, please visit joinallofus.org. But to learn more about all of us here at MCW, you can email allofus at mcw.edu or call 414-955-AOUW or 1-833-MCW-2638. Additionally, listeners can help support All of Us by spreading the word about All of Us or like and follow All of Us research on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll be sure to post links and information along with the podcast of this show. But right now, all of us have reached the end for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. Stephen Hargarten, Dr. James Thomas, Dr. Amit Godet, and Sarah Longenecker. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. So make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing happier, healthier days ahead for all of us. For more information about research or to listen to this program online and on demand, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.